Hi guys, welcome to A Side of Homicide. I'm Austin. And I'm Tenille. So, how's your week been? It's been good. It's been a busy week. I had family from Minneapolis come and visit, um, and they're not up here very often. So, I hung out with them, and then, I think, is it next Thursday we're going to the Conjuring movie? Yes. Yes. Which I'm pumped about because I freaking love movies. And now that I know that you love movies, I'm so excited. I just haven't been in, <laughs> been in a movie for so long. And then when we saw Quiet Place um, 2, that was kind of fun. It reminded me of how much I love movies. Right. But I never had anybody go with. So. I love movies. <laughs> we'll go often. Okay. So. Good, good, good. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about a new podcast that has come out. Um, it's called Confronting Columbine. Um, and shout out to my coworker, Anne, for telling me about it, but it's, it's very interesting. I've always found Columbine, the whole situation obviously is very sad, but interesting. Yeah. And so it's a very good podcast. It's somebody who survived. Why is Leonard sounding like he ran a marathon? I don't know if you guys can hear this, but Leonard's walking around going, (laughs) (laughs) and he's walking. (laughs) So the first one is confronting OJ Simpson in that case, but I'm not really a fan of that case, so yeah. I didn't listen to that first one. But the second season is confront- Confronting Columbine. So everybody should check that out because it's really good so far. So, yeah, that's about it for my week. But yeah. how about you? Um, it's It's been good. Um, so um, you being around your plants all the time has made me kind of get into plants. I love it. And you got some flowers. And when you were away camping um, when I was home, I watered your flowers for you, and I thought that was a nice little touch. And so I bought some, and we'll have to post a picture of when I went. They and look I went great. All by myself and selected. I didn't know what the fuck I was buying, I'm but I bought shocked. some flowers. You went by yourself because usually I go with you for that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. So I got some cute flowers, and now it looks all beachy and. It looks really nice. Not really beachy. Why am I saying beachy? It's okay. It looks um summery. Yeah, there. summery, summery, mm-hmm. but. It looks very nice, and he even repotted them himself. I'm exactly. so proud. So then um, I got a home goods gift card for my work, and so we w- took a trip, and I found this um, pet carrier, like a cloth one, and I was like, it's kind of like a bag. So I was like, oh, that'd be perfect because Max could just chill in that, and it'd be comfortable for mm-hmm. him. And so I put him in it, and he he didn't seem to mind it. I brought it over brought over the carrier with him inside of it into your apartment and sat him down on the counter and he was just chilling. Yeah. He did really good in it. Yeah. So I was surprised. So then I was like, yeah, (laughs) well, I was like, he was doing very good with it. And the day after I had gotten it, I got home and he was actually just sleeping inside of it. And I was like, what the fuck? So, you know, he likes it. Right. So I was like, okay, well you had to go run some errands. And so I was like, well, let's take Max with, and see how he likes it. Oh, he was fine. He could see out the window, but then he got, kept getting his claw stuck in the mesh, mm-hmm. and then he would get scared. So I'd have to take his claw out every time, and then he'd put it back in right after and be like, "What the fuck?" You know. Yeah. And then he was just Not trying the to brightest. dig. Yeah, and then he was trying to dig his way out of it, and it was just a whole mess. But yeah, but we brought him back home. It was fine. Yeah. Other than <laughs> that, though, I mean, it's been pretty, pretty non-eventful. Yeah. That's I would okay, say, though, you know. Yeah. So I guess we can get into Tanil's book recommendation of June. Yes. I know you have seen the Hunger Games movies. Yes. But you have not read the books, correct? I have not. Okay. So um, I suggest everybody go read the books and watch the movies because they're both great. Yeah. I love the movies. I think that they picked Katniss's character very well oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the movies. 
And so it was just, it was really good. Jennifer Lawrence was perfect for it. I was going to say Jennifer Hutchinson. I loved reading the Hunger Games books. So when the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes came out, I knew I would love it. And this is kind of like a prequel to the actual Hunger Games books. So here's a summary of the book. Um, It is the morning of the reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games. In the capital, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor for the Hunger Games. The once mighty house of snow has fallen on hard times. It's fate hanging on slender chance that Coriolanus will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribe. The odds are against him. He's been given the humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12, the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every chance Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside of the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his desire to survive no matter what it takes. For those of you who have not read The Hunger Games, it could be kind of confusing, the summary. Yeah. But it's really good, so. Okay. So, yeah, that is my June book recommendation, so everybody should check it out. Yes, for sure. So, I suppose we can get on to Tennille's True Crime News, hosted by Tennille Turner. Commentary by Austin Holtz. So, this one, I mean, I am positive you know this case, because I'm pretty sure we discussed this in the past. Lori Vallow Daybell. Yes. Okay. So there's an update on this matter. For those of you who are not familiar with Lori Vallow, her and her husband, Chad Daybell, have been accused of allegedly killing her two children and his former wife. The update on this case is that a licensed clinical psychologist has determined that Lori is not competent to stand trial. According to AZ Family, the state prosecutor in Idaho is contesting it, and the state will likely bring in their own psychologist for another evaluation. Which I, I can could see, yeah. yeah. Which that's pretty normal to do. Um, I just, I'm not surprised that that they found her incompetent. I was going to say, yeah. Um, She is a fucking nut job. Yeah. Like, there's no other way to explain her. She's She's fucking crazy. She's literally nuts. Crazy woman. So this one is freaky. I didn't see much of this online, so I don't think you've heard of this one. Um, It's about a passenger who attacks a flight attendant. Oh. Like, really attacks. Like, oh. draws blood and kicks out teeth. I shouldn't say kicks, but knocks out teeth. Was he a dentist? I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> According to CBS 8, a woman named Viv... How do you think you say that? Viv- Viviana? Uh, y- I don't know. We're going to y- go by her y- last Yana? name. Uh, Quinones who is 28 years old from Antelope, California, has been arrested for allegedly knocking out two of the flight attendant's teeth uh, after getting into an argument with her. And um, this was a Southwest Airlines flight, and the plane was actually on its way to San Diego. And the flight attendant was taken to the hospital because clearly she had some serious injuries. Right. Um, Quinones has been arrested on suspicion of felony battery causing serious bodily injury, um, the argument supposedly started when Quinones reportedly ignored standard in-flight instructions and became verbally and physically abusive upon landing. Quinones did post a $35,000 bond and must appear in court on September 30th. 
Yeah. You agree to this stuff. You agree to the rules when you book a flight. Mm-hmm. I you don't do. understand why people are having such a hard time with that. Not only that, she will be on a no-fly list forever right. now. I mean, Even though she won't know it until she goes. No, I think she knows. Well, yeah. <laughs> she really fucked up. <laughs> um, interesting, because, I mean, that woman that did it is not that old. She's, you know, just about 30. So she has a long time of driving to places instead of flying. Yeah. So good luck, honey. So the next one is about, okay, this one isn't technically true crime, but I thought it was kind of interesting. It has to do with human remains. So okay. there we go. Uh, human remains were found in a dinosaur sculpture. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So according to USA Today in Barcelona, Spain, the remains of a 39-year-old man were found inside a paper mache dinosaur statue. How? The remains were found due to a father and son who were near the statue and noticed an odor, which, oh. Yeah. Decomp. And so the father got a closer look and looked through a crack in the leg and saw a body. And so he alerted authorities immediately. The police do believe it was accidental as the man who was found was trying to grab his phone that fell inside the like leg of the statue. And he was trapped upside down when he tried to reach it. And so he died. How did they just end up? It ended up in a museum. No, it was, it's like an outside sculpture. I'll post a picture of it. Okay. I'll show you so you can see what I mean. Because um, it is kind of odd. Uh, I going to say, how did nobody notice? See, because it's outside. Oh. So he must have like went up on top. Because they even have to get a machine to get okay, down there. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's outside and it must have been in one of these legs. Which you can see from comparison, it's pretty large. Yeah. So, poor guy was just trying to reach his cell phone and died. Well, I'm guessing he didn't reach it. Nope. Because <laughs> he couldn't call for help. Fair enough. So, the next one here. I like to sometimes, you know, put a North Dakota one in here. Okay, so, perfect. A woman that was pulled over by police had goats in her car. <laughs> so, according to KFGO near Jamestown, North Dakota, Highway Patrol pulled over a woman for speeding. She was going 90 in a 75. Jesus. Well, for North Dakota, huh? Eh, yeah, our tickets are cheap here. Yeah. The woman claimed that she ended up speeding as her goats were distracting her in her back seat. <laughs> Later on, another trooper pulled her over for speeding near Castleton. Oh my God. <laughs> and she used the same excuse. This woman and her goat problem. Goats freak me out. I'm not kidding. They freak me the fuck out. Oh, I don't I like goats. goats. I hate goats. Like, look at their scary little eyes. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're scary. Was that one of her goats? Yeah, this was her backseat of her vehicle. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, there's, like, hay and everything. Yeah, she really, really got it going. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a good little North Dakota one. I'll post a picture <sighs> of her, her and, well, not her, but her goats. Okay, perfect. So, have you heard of the case of the 2012 Aurora, Colorado movie theater shooting? I have, but it's been quite a few years. Okay, how old are you? I was 11 or 12. You were 11 or 12. Okay. Yeah. I was graduating high school at this time. Oh, so. how cute. Yeah. So I really remember this well because it, it happened during that time. And I was so old enough to. I was starting middle school. Oh, God. Wow. I couldn't imagine myself hanging out with a little middle schooler. Ew. We would have been buds. <laughs> we would have been buds. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start out with the shooter just to get a little bit of a background um, and kind of what he was doing before this all happened. Okay. And maybe to give a little bit of insight, some 
It's what, nice to know that to kind of see what leads up to yeah, it. Yeah, or what our theories could potentially be. And I'll talk about a few theories too today. Right. But his name is James Egan Holmes. He was born on December 13th, 1987 in San Diego, California. His mother's name is Arlene Holmes and his father's name is Robert Holmes. Arlene is a registered nurse and Robert is a mathematician and scientist and he has degrees from Stanford University, UCLA, UC Berkeley, and then also, so obviously his parents are very smart. So James did have one sister. Her name's Chris. That was it. That's all I found. Okay. Chris. Um, he played soccer and ran cross country in high school. He also attended Penasquitos. Penasquitos? Penasquitos? Penasquitos. 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 <laughs> no, it's a Lutheran church, so I can't say that. <laughs> Penasquitos. <laughs> However you say that. Penasquitos. Um, with his family. So he attended church. Maybe Penajitos. I have no idea. I want to take Spanish so bad. Like I actually might download one of those apps that like helps you. Oh, do Duolingo. I did that to um, learn some French. Yeah, I'd like to learn Spanish because I mean, I go to Mexico usually once a year. So I'd like to. Lechat means the cat. Lechat. Lechat. In French? Lechat. That's all you need to know. Lechat. <laughs> So I, for like a week or two, I called Max Chat. <laughs> Le Chat. Okay. Thanks for that little French lesson. So James began to suffer from mental health issues in middle school, and he actually attempted suicide at the age of 11. Ooh. So I think that's when it kind of... Yeah. And according to James, during his childhood, he was scared of what he called nail ghosts, and they would hammer on the walls at night. Oh, so clearly oh. something up there is happening, oh. you know, or it was just a kid being scared of shadows or noises, you know, Yeah. you never know. Um, he would also see shadows and flickers of light in the corner of his eyes. So, uh, you know, something, something, a little something off was there. a little off there. Did he not tell his parents? I am not aware of that. I just know that this came out after everything happened. Yeah. So it's... he might have told his parents when he was younger, but they could have just said, oh, you're just a kid. You know, you get scared easily. That kind of thing. You know? Kids say the darndest things, but every scary movie with a kid I've seen, the kid does some fucked up shit. So. Right? Or they know things. Yes. You know, they just have a special connection and it's just. Whew. It's like animals too. Yeah. It makes me nervous. Actually, I love having Len around, except for one time, he really scared me in the middle of the night because I was just petting him real nice. And he turns to, like, the corner of my bedroom towards the ceiling and just starts growling. Oh, my. And he wouldn't stop. And, I mean, like, it freaked me out. Oh, my. That reminds me, though. So, I had this black lab named Angus. So... I have family in Georgia, and we would drive down there instead of flying because my father did not like to fly. So, and we didn't want to leave our dog behind, so we mm -hmm. took him with this time. When we stopped at this hotel, and it was hard finding some places that advertised as pet-friendly. So we ended up booking a place at this hotel. Like, it seemed okay. Mm -hmm. And it was like 60 bucks a night, which was a little... <laughs> but we got... that the hard way, too. Yeah, it's okay. we got there, and it wasn't so bad. So we get to our room, and they give us this really, really sketchy room. And, you know, we went to the lobby to kind of see if they had, like, because they think they had, like, a hot tub or something. But mm -hmm. there was this restaurant that was in the basement. And when you walk in, there's, like, these big stairs leading to the basement. But it was closed at that time. And my dog literally looked down at the basement and started growling really, really bad. And he's never done that before. So we went back to the room. 
got all of our stuff and left. We didn't even ask for a refund. We just left. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's exactly what I would have done too, though. Yep. Yeah. I, okay, we'll do one more story here and I'll get back on it. But I went to a hotel. This reminded me of that trip too, because I think I paid like 60 bucks on Expedia or something for it. Yeah. And they did have pictures of the hotel. Yeah. But like 20 years earlier. Oh. So it was very out of date photos. Okay. Okay. And when the taxi picked us up, this was in California. And when the taxi picked us up, he asked where we were headed. And he was like, oh. And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> He's like, well, you might want to change hotels. Oh. But it was like 1 a.m. at this point. We yeah. Couldn't, you know. Oh, no. And we get there. Have you ever seen the movie um, Vacancy? No. Okay. Well, this hotel looked exactly like in the movie. Okay. So for those of you who have seen it, it's just creepy. It's just like everything was the same and it's a horror movie. And so it just, it really freaked me out. We literally sat on the bed and just stayed awake all night. Oh. It was just horrible. It was creepy. You heard gunshots. It was oh. just not, yeah, it was not a good time. The next day we changed over to the Ramada near Target. So. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So it was a good change. It was an experience. It's something we laugh about now, but you know, we won't do, do ever do that again. Right, right. You learned that the hard way. We really did. Okay, back to it here. Um, so James actually graduated from Westview High School in 2006, and he worked as an intern at uh, the Stock Institute for Biological Studies, and he was assigned to write computer code for an experiment. Oh. And I've heard a few things, or I've read a few things um, that he didn't do too well there. Okay. Um, so then in the summer of 2008, he worked as a counselor at a residential summer camp in Glendale, California, um, which had children from ages 7 to 14. There were no problems reported about James at this job, though. It sounds like he did an okay job. Okay, yeah, yeah. In the fall of 2010, James worked at a pill and capsule coating factory. Couldn't find the name of it, but that's what it was. Okay. In San Diego County. Uh, co-workers did report, though, that James was a little strange, but he did keep quiet and kept to himself. Well, we always have those strange co-workers. Yeah. Um, according to CNN, James attended the University of California, Riverside for neuroscience in 2010. Then he attended the University of Colorado and Schultz Medical Campus. And he enrolled in 2011 as a doctoral candidate in its neuroscience program. Oh, wow. So clearly he has some brains because right. he wouldn't be able to do all these things if he didn't. But he did end up withdrawing in June of 2012 after he failed a key oral exam. Oh. Um, James lived on Paris Street in Aurora, Colorado. Um, have you ever been to Colorado at all? No, I've always wanted to. Though. It's very pretty. I do love Colorado. Yeah. Denver was really nice. I did like it. I ended up going to uh, Steamboat Springs. Um, I went to a hot springs too. It was like Strawberry Lake. I can't remember exactly, but it was really cool. Uh, he lived in a one-bedroom apartment building, which had other students from the university living in the building as well. In October of 2011, um, he began dating another student in his biology class, but it only lasted about two months. I didn't want to put her name in here just because didn't need to be included. Yeah, it's because they didn't have enough chemistry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The dad jokes are I know. real today. <laughs> so they started dating again in January of 2012, but ended it again in February. Okay. 
So according to Wikipedia, James was of age to legally purchase guns. And he had no prior criminal record at all. Right, right. So on May 22nd, 2012, James bought a Glock 22 pistol at Gander Mountain in Aurora. And then on May 28th, 2012, he bought a Remington 870 Express tactical shotgun. He bought this at a Bass Pro Shop near Denver. And then on June 7th, 2012, he bought a Smith & Wesson M&P 15 sport rifle. So four months prior to the shooting um, and prior to buying these guns, he actually ended up buying um, 3,000 rounds of ammo for the pistol, 3,000 rounds of ammo for the MNP-15, and then 350 shells for the shotgun over the internet. Damn. Which, I don't know why, it just blows my mind you can buy that stuff over the internet. Yeah. It's just... Ugh. I mean, you can buy anything. It's crazy. You go on the dark web, you can buy anything. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> The dark web still fascinates me. I really want to go on it, but I know bad shit happens on the dark web. So I'm no, I would never do it. Same. On July 2nd, 2012, he bought a Blackhawk urban assault vest, two magazine holders and a knife online. And then he also bought spike strips, which he had planned on using in case police ended up following him and chased him. So then on July 7th, 2012, James purchased a ticket for the July 19th, 2012 midnight showing of The Dark Knight Rises at the Century Aurora 16 Multiplex Theater in Aurora, Colorado. Did you ever see this movie? No. Oh, really? Oh, I have. It surprises me. I actually don't know why I watched it because I'm not really into that kind of movie. Yeah. So I don't really know why I watched it, but I know I watched it. Okay. On July 19th, 2012, this is the day of the movie. James parks his vehicle and goes inside the movie theater and then goes into theater number nine for the movie. Shortly after, he exits through the rear exit on the right side of the screen, which led to the parking lot. So he ended up propping the door open so that he could return to that theater. And I'm guessing it locked from the outside, like most theaters do. Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, here they do, at least, to my knowledge. Right. And so he just kind of propped it open. By the time the movie starts, since this is a midnight showing, it is now July 20th, 2012. So 18 minutes into the movie, James comes back through that propped open door. He threw in two tear gas canisters into that theater. So it was stated that, you know, all that stuff that he bought, the gear and stuff. So he ended up wearing that right away. So he was dressed in a ballistic helmet, protective gear for his legs, throat and groin. And then he also wore black gloves and a gas mask so that he could throw the tear gas in. So some of the audience members initially thought that he was just performing a stunt for the film, which I could see because it's a comic movie. He's doing these stunts. Well, and if it's a midnight showing, mm-hmm. sometimes I know that they do premieres, the midnight showing. Do you know if it yeah. was a premiere? It was. It was It was a premiere of the midnight showing. Okay, because I actually went to the Twilight Breaking Down Part 2 at midnight. <laughs> Me too! I went to all of them. Yeah, I went midnight. to it after a band concert. I'm like seventh grade. That's cute. <laughs> See, I was more in high school. Yep, yep. Um, after both of those gas canisters exploded, he enters and begins shooting. And first he shot at the ceiling, which I don't really get. Shot at the audience. Like a warning shot? Maybe? I don't know. Just very strange. So 12 people ended up being killed in this entire attack. And then 58 to 70 people were injured. I kept finding different numbers, so that's why I did put 58 to 70. Yeah. I did see mostly 70, though. Okay. Um, And a lot of people were injured by trying to escape as well because they're crawling over each other, running, you know, probably tripping. And And the movie theaters are so dark. Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, especially because it was already 18 minutes in. Q Austin's wine pouring. I've switched to box wine because I am poor. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you, Franzia. Um, there are many stories of people who survived this mass shooting. I don't know why. Maybe it's kind of a morbid curiosity of mine, but I like listening to these stories. Yeah. I like yeah. knowing what they went through, how they're handling it, what happened, what they did, you right, know, that kind right. of thing. So I decided on three stories that I'm going to share. So I actually watched a YouTube video by BuzzFeed, and this is on survivor Malia Schurig. And she was one of the survivors of this attack, and she was visiting Colorado. So she didn't even live there. Oh. Yeah, she was visiting for four days, and she decided to go to the movie with her sister and friends. And she stated that around 10 people went together as a group. And she was 20 years old at this time. And they all sat down, and they were actually near the door that opened near the aisle. And she stated that she had heard popping sounds and saw smoke. And at first she thought that it was like part of the showing as well, like yeah. I mentioned. Um, but then she started noticing bullets that were going through the wall. Oh. And her friend Gage, who was sitting behind her in the theater, got shot in the arm and started bleeding. Oh. And to my knowledge and to hers, um, he was kind of one of the first people that were shot because nobody knew what was happening. Nobody, nobody was really yeah, doing it right, right. at this point. Um, and so there was a lot of confusion going on. So Malia and her friend group were one of the first ones out of the theater. So they immediately left. Yeah. They were out. And she hid by a concession stand. And then people started coming out of the two theaters because his bullets were coming through the walls. Yeah. And so they, to my knowledge, they were not in the theater that he was at. Right, he, right. They were next to it. Okay. So the bullets, because those are thin walls. Yeah. And it was just coming right through the walls. Oh. And so... Then after, you know, she was hiding behind and so many people started coming out that she decided that she was going to run out of the building. So she started ducking behind cars and, you know, running and trying to stay yeah. safe. And police actually responded really, really quickly, which was great. Right. And at this time, James's gun had jammed and he was actually back at his car trying to reload. Okay. And that's where he was caught by police. <sighs> And Malia ended up separated from some of her friends because there was 10 of them. I mean, yeah. it's easy to get separated. And there's actually a setup on the curb for people who were injured and they were all waiting for ambulances. Oh. And there weren't enough ambulances because, I mean, they're not prepared for this. Right, you know, there's right. a lot of people injured. Oh. And so cop cars actually started transporting people to the hospital that were injured. Yeah. And Gage, who was shot in the arm, did not get in an ambulance right away because he was stable. But he did end up getting into one later on. Okay. And Malia was trying to call her parents at the hotel. But if you think about it, this is late at night now. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, they're sleeping. Right. <laughs> like normal parents, you right. know. And so the hotel was alerted of the situation. So they were aware of it. And they woke up her parents. And um, so she did come back. And everybody was awake. And they knew what was happening. And the right. hotel staff was very Good. nice. Good. And, you know, considerate about it. And they... They were sweet, she said. Yeah. So whenever she is in a large crowd now, though, she always thinks, you know, what would happen if there was a mass shooting? What would I do? Right, right. And then she also, whenever she hears, like, fireworks or cars backfiring, she thinks it's gunshots. It's like PTSD. Yeah, which is oh. so sad. Yeah, so that was her story. It was very interesting to watch it. It's sad, though, obviously. So another interview that I watched was an ABC News interview, and it had Carrie Rotman and Pierce O'Farrell. And these were two best friends that decided they wanted to go to the midnight showing together. That would be us. Yeah. 
these two were in the theater that the shooter was in. Okay. So Pierce got hit in the arm first, and they both immediately hit the floor. <sighs> and then um, they were trying to lay as flat as they could on the floor because, you know, this was the time where they didn't have the lounge seats. It was yeah. the regular seats. Right. So not a lot of room. And so they got as flat as they could, and they just started praying because they're very religious. Both of them are. And then Carrie got shot in the leg. So now they have both been shot. And then when the shooter paused to reload, Carrie tried to get Pierce up to leave the theater together. Yeah. But Pierce was unable to, and he wasn't really responding. So Carrie actually thought that he was dead. Oh. And so Carrie got out of there because of that. He's like, well, I can't help Pierce, so yeah. I got to go. And um, Pierce actually stated that after the gunman reloaded, he came back and he was two inches from his head. And so he ended up putting his face down on the ground with his eyes closed and just prayed. Yeah. So played dead, basically. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I always know, mm -hmm. like, I always think just like, even if like somebody hits you or something like mm -hmm. that or trying to kill you, just play dead. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, both of them did survive. They were both in the hospital get together. But it's just a really scary <sighs> situation. So the last story that I'm going to talk about, um, it was on a CNN news interview that I watched, and it was regarding the youngest murder victim in the attack, which was Veronica Moser Sullivan, and she was six. So she ended up going with her mother, Ashley, and her babysitter, Kaylin, who was uh, 13 years old, and Ashley was actually critically injured, which was her mom. Oh. She was shot in the neck and in the abdomen, and she actually ended up being partially paralyzed. Oh. And Kaylin was not shot, the babysitter. Mm -hmm. So she ended up lying on the theater floor and called 911, which good on her. She's yeah. only 13 and she, you know, has, she obviously was not paralyzed in fear. She, you know, thought, oh, I have to call for help. Yeah. And so she actually ended up putting her hand on Veronica's rib cage to check if she was breathing. Yeah. And she wasn't. Oh. And so 911 asked her to do CPR, but she couldn't because her mom was on top of her. And her mom, her mom had already been shot twice. So. <sighs> She couldn't help her, and Veronica passed. But Kaylin was obviously able to get out safely. She wasn't shot, wasn't injured. According to Aurora Police Chief Daniel Oates, James did not put up a resistance against police. And he actually ended up surrendering to police outside the theater near his vehicle. That was within seven minutes of the first 911 call. So they reported very quickly. Yeah. So that's good on police, you know. James made a statement to police that there were explosives in his apartment unit. So five buildings, including his apartment, were evacuated. Good. So James actually was not lying about this, which shocked me he even told them. Like, why would he tell him? He's trying to do as much damage as he can, to my knowledge. Yeah, maybe he kind of realized it snapped out of yeah, it. But maybe. that's actually, well, not funny. I wanted to say funny that you say that because it's just like a mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. But did you see that in Fargo today there was a, um, they were evacuating apartment buildings because there was a suspicious bag outside? No. Yeah, so the SWAT team was out. Can you tell that I have not been on social media today yet? Right. And I know something <laughs> that you don't. I'm proud ones. of you. I'm very proud of you. So his apartment was actually booby-trapped, and it had a trip wire at the front door, and it would have actually um, made anything go off that was like explosive or flammable anything in there Ugh. that's what it was gonna it was it was really gonna blow up jesus christ so on july 21st 2012 the police had to disarm all of his makeshift bombs by using a controlled detonation to disable a second triggering device so he had two Oof. 
and the explosives removed inside were more than 30 homemade grenades. Oh my God. And 10 gallons of gasoline. Like, isn't that insane? Like he made 30 homemade bombs in his apartment. Holy fuck. I'm not going to lie. This is what makes me nervous about living in apartments because you don't know what other tenants are doing. Oh, well, exactly. Ever. Exactly. And sometimes we get some sketchy, sketch people here and I'm like, on July 23rd, 2012, James actually made his first court appearance and he was ordered to be held without bond. Obviously, that's yeah. no surprise. Um, he had dyed his hair neon orange. <laughs> and he seemed like he was just in a daze. It was just very odd. Yeah. I'll post a picture of his neon orange hair. Quarter life crisis. It's just weird. It's so strange because, like, you know, obviously his parents were good parents. He was smart. Like, what happened? Yeah, that's you why know? part of me believes that, like, no matter how you raise your kid, yeah. they, they're going to turn out how they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you just never know. Yeah. You know, just that's don't why have I'm kids. not having kids. <laughs> <laughs> so on July 25th, 2012, authorities discover an undelivered package at the Ann Schultz Medical Campus mailroom sent by James. Oh. So according to trial testimony, it wasn't any, any bombs, just to, so you know, it's okay. Okay. The package was addressed to his psychiatrist, and it contains a handwritten notebook, which details his plans for the attack, his obsession for killing, and he has the question why written all over it. And clearly his mental state is really Yeah, I'm sure he knew you know? something was off, but why allow yeah. yourself to do it? I don't know. Well, and Lynn Fenton, his psychiatrist, had stated to her coworkers that he, you know, James could be potentially dangerous to others, but she wasn't able to take action in time. Yeah, I could see that. So that I bet she feels so guilty, that poor woman. Yeah. On March 27, 2013, according to court documents, James offered to plead guilty and spend life in prison in exchange for taking the death penalty off the table, which happens a lot. A lot yep. of people just don't want to die. Yep. But on April 1st, 2013, the district attorney rejects James' offer and stated that he will seek the death penalty. Good. Right? I like this guy. A life for a life. A life for life. For many lives. A lot of lives. On May 13th, 2013, James pled not guilty by reason of insanity, which I could have called that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And on June 4th, 2013, a judge accepts James' plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, and he was taken to the Colorado Mental Health Institute at Pueblo for an evaluation. Okay. So after the eval, obviously he'll be sent back to jail. He's not going to just be staying at this mental health facility. Good. And then on July 10th, 2013, a Attorneys for James had filed an objection to the judge's ruling that their client must be restrained during the trial. And that's by means of a hidden harness anchored to the floor, which Mm. I think is fine because he killed many people and planned on doing a lot more damage with his bombs. So exactly. On February 19th, 2014, Judge Carlos Samore Jr. orders James to undergo additional sanity examination, stating that there was a good cause to believe the previous testing was incomplete and inadequate. Okay, I could see that. I mean... Yeah, so, okay. According to CPR News, William Reed and Jeffrey Metzner, the court-appointed psychiatrist, concluded that James did not meet Colorado's standard for insanity... They did agree that James was mentally ill at the time of the killings. Jeffrey diagnosed James with schizoaffective disorder, which is a severe form of schizophrenia. And then William diagnosed James with schizotypal personality, which is a related but less severe disorder. 
And then both stated that despite his illness, James knew that the mass killings were illegal and morally wrong. And so that he could still form criminal intent. Yes, Which exactly. means that he was sane. Well, you should be able to snap in and out of it. I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong for those of you out there, but I feel like there's still something inside of you that knows that it's wrong. It wouldn't go to that scale. Yeah. So under uh, state law, he was considered sane. So that's why the insanity plea did not work. Honestly, I agree. Mm-hmm. On December 19th, 2014, James's parents spoke out for the first time and they ended up putting a written statement out published by the Denver post stating that they believe the death penalty is morally wrong, especially when the condemned is mentally ill. They also stated that they believe that the attention should now be focused on the injured and the healing and then would like to avoid a traumatic trial. Okay. But they're a little biased. Yeah. Cause it's their kid. Yeah. But again, I understand that they don't want to have a trial. I right, get that. That's right. a lot of media, a lot of press on that. Yeah. I understand where they're coming from by wanting the death penalty taken off the table. That's still their kid, no matter what. Right. So I do understand that. Um, but it sounds like they didn't really say much. That was kind of all they said. <sighs> okay. On April 14th, 2015, 12 jurors and 12 alternates were selected out of 9,000 potential jurors. And the group included 19 women and five men. And it's actually almost entirely white and mostly middle-aged, which uh, I don't really think that's a juror of your peers. Yeah, you well, you should have gotten. You want gotten, a mix. You want like you said, you want a mix mm-hmm. of like every age group. Yeah, well, and ethnicity. I mean, I think it's only fair because you know it should be exactly. So, the judge actually stated that he dismissed a female juror as she was not forthcoming about having recognized a witness. And then three other jurors were dismissed earlier because they reportedly discussed media stories on the case. And so another one was sent home after she changed her story to the judge about how her brother-in-law was shot in an armed robbery. Oh. Yeah. So it's like, this is, you know, why they have those alternates because shit like this happens a lot. Well, and with something that happens on such a large scale, it's Mm -hmm. hard to find people that are, you know, not exposed to it pre like, Kind of like George Floyd. Exactly. You know, you know, you can't, it's hard Mm -hmm. to find people that haven't heard of that or, you know, are Mm -hmm. unbiased. I'd be kicked off immediately. Right. So would you. (laughs) Exactly. So according to CNN, James was found guilty on all 165 counts against him, which were 24 first degree murder charges, 140 attempted murder charges, one count of possession of control of an explosive or in, sanitary device did you just hear me snort oh it was a snort i I don't know why it was like literally like i've never done that before um he was sentenced to 12 life sentences one life term for each person killed plus 3318 years in prison for the attempted murders good he is not eligible for he is not eligible for parole and then he is currently incarcerated at the federal correctional complex in allenwood pennsylvania so he won't be put to death, but he is in jail forever. I mean, at least he can kind of suffer it out. But at the same time, I think death would have been good. Mm-hmm. I think he should have been killed. Yeah. Yeah, just because he did so much damage. Well, and the fact that how dare he fight it and say that mm-hmm. he doesn't want to die when he took so many innocent lives. Yeah, that's what I just don't understand. Like, they, when it comes down to it, they don't want to die. But right. Like, you like, took all those lives. I have no problem shooting up a theater, but, like, don't kill me, you know? Yeah. Like, don't feel like it today. Like, I just don't want to die like all those others did. Like, like shut what? the fuck yeah. up. 
Yeah. So that was just, that was annoying. Um, on December 4th, 2015, James is ordered to pay restitution in the amount of $954,878.95. On May 19th, 2016, a not liable verdict is returned against Cinemax Cinemas in the theater shooting for the civil trial. Yeah. The suit was actually filed by the victims and the family members of the victims, and they alleged negligence on the part of the theater, saying that it lacked adequate adequate security well how were they supposed to know and the thing is they couldn't have really prevented that because he went out the emergency exit door to my knowledge that's what i mean and they have to keep that unlocked for emergencies the only thing i can say is maybe have an alarm on the emergency exit mm -hmm. i am actually surprised that they didn't because i think the ones in fargo have yeah alarms because it says sure don't do. open it's you know Right, accent. right. Kind of like, you know, when my grandpa was in the nursing home, every time he opened the door to, like, go into his mm -hmm. part, like, it was literally, it would wail alarms mm -hmm. through everything. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't. I don't know why. Well, they used to, after this happened, I remember they started checking people's bags. Yeah. And they don't do it anymore, though, to my knowledge. They don't do yeah. it here. They didn't do it the last time we went last week. Yeah. But they did for a few years, I remember, because it was strange going to the movies. Right. People would literally have one person checking bags and looking through things. But yeah, I could see why they would try to go after the theater mm -hmm. just because of the fact that like those doors should have been alarmed mm -hmm. at least. I could see that. Yeah. I understand where they're coming from and they're hurt. You know, they're hurt and sad and upset. And But at the same time, it's not like the movie theater on. wanted that to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not they like they people to have fun. And well, it's not movies. like they purposely cut costs. Mm-hmm. So, according to CPR News, a book named A Dark Night in Aurora, Inside James Holmes in the Colorado Mass Shootings by William H. Reed was released. William, like I mentioned, was one of those two court-appointed psychiatrists who evaluated James's mental health before trial. Okay. So, he spent a total of 24 hours interviewing James in July and August of 2014. And then William also reviewed approximately 85,000 pages of documents provided by prosecutors, the defense, and law enforcement. In the book, William does acknowledge that readers will want to know what led James to commit mass murder, and he predicts that they won't be happy with his conclusion. He writes, the answer, and this really is the answer, but it's not very satisfying, lies in an unimaginably detailed and complex that we cannot replicate because we cannot see all of it. Exactly. So, you can't see everything inside a person's no. head. And I have not read this book, but I would like to. I would, I'd give it a read. Right. I would. And according to CPR News, the book includes a handful of previously unknown facts. And the most startling of all, which is that James suggested to William in one of their videotaped interviews that he might kill again if given the chance. And William asked James if the guards should be worried about that. And James replied, um, I'd say so, yeah. Oh. Like, Hearing this, why didn't they put him to death? He wants to kill him. He can't even reflect on it because he doesn't feel bad. Mm -mm. Doesn't feel bad at all. There were a few theories that circulated, which was that James identified with the Joker of the film, or that his breakup with his girlfriend provoked the killings, or that his prescribed medicine, Zoloft, was a factor in the crime. And according to William, all of these theories are false. And William even looked into his childhood and found nothing wrong with how James was raised. Sometimes you can't predict it. You just don't know. Yeah, exactly. When, how are you supposed to know? 
You can't mm-hmm. accurately predict stuff. No. You're not that so raven. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> I know, but that bitch could predict anything. Yeah, but really at the could. same time, like you can't do that uh-uh. in real life. And you that's can't. the thing. So I'm going to end this episode with all of the names and ages and a little bit of information about the murdered victims. Okay. Jonathan T. Blunk. He was 26. According to the Denver Post, Jonathan went to the movies with his girlfriend, Jansen Young, who was 21. Jonathan was shot to death while trying to protect her. He had pushed her to the floor and kept his arms around her and kept trying to shove her, you know, underneath the seat. It's like you and I. Mm -hmm. And Jansen realized that um, he had stopped moving on top of her. And she tried to get him up by lifting him by his shoulder, but he didn't move. Jonathan had two children, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, with his estranged wife, Chantel Blunk. So not us, but... No. (laughs) Jonathan enlisted in the Navy and served aboard the USS Nimitz in San Diego. And then he had had left the Navy and then separated from his wife and moved to Colorado in 2009. And he had actually been working at a hardware store at the time, but he did have plans to re-enlist in the Navy. And then he was also a certified firefighter and an emergency medical technician. He had a lot going for him. He really did. The rest of the information that I'm going to mention was provided by Denver CBS Local News. Um, The next victim was Alexander J. Boyk. Also, I apologize if I'm saying any of their names wrong. I'm trying my best. Um, Alexander was 18. His nickname was AJ, and he had a reputation for making people laugh. And he even attempted to bring back the mullet haircut his freshman year of high school. Well, it's trendy (laughs) now, so. It really is. Yeah. Uh, He played baseball. uh, He was the catcher. And then he had actually recently graduated from Gateway High School in Aurora. And then he also played in the school orchestra. So he had tons of things going on. What a sweetie. Yeah. The next victim was Air Force Staff Sergeant Jesse E. Childress. He was 29. Uh, He was in the Air Force. Jesse was an Air Force cyber systems operator based at the Buckley Air Force Base in Aurora. All of his coworkers had really nice things to say about him and were really upset by this tragedy. <sighs> the next victim is Gordon W. Cowden. He was 51. He was the oldest victim. Mm. He was actually attending the movie with his two teenage children. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. His children escaped the shooting unharmed, thankfully. <sighs> um, he will be remembered by his sense of humor and his devotion to his children. The next victim is Jessica Guayi, she was 24. She had actually survived another shooting. And this was at the Toronto Mall. Can you imagine going through two mass shootings? Mm -hmm. And in the second one, you pass away. Uh, She had pursued a career in sports journalism and moved from Texas to Colorado. And she went by the name Redfield because she was a redhead. Uh, The next victim is Petty Officer Third Class John Thomas Laramir. Uh, He was 27. John was a Navy sailor based at Buckley Air Force Base, where he was a cryptologic technician. And he grew up in Chicago. Um, It was a suburb of Chicago, actually, and it was Crystal Lake. And then he was the youngest of five siblings, and he was known to have a good sense of humor. Hmm. The next victim is Matthew R. McQuinn. He was 27. He had actually attended the movie with his girlfriend, Samantha Yowler, and her brother, Nick Yowler. And Matt had actually dove in front of Samantha and Nick to shield them from the gunfire and died protecting them. Ooh. Samantha did end up being shot, but it was in the knee and she did survive. Nick was not injured. And Matt had actually moved from Ohio to Colorado and he worked at Target. 
The next victim is Michaela C. Medic. She was 23. Michaela was out with a group of 10 friends that night, and her nickname was Kayla. And she was a huge Green Bay Packers fan, and she was attending classes at Aurora Community College and worked at a subway. The next victim was the youngest. She was Veronica Moser Sullivan, and she was at the movies with her mother, like I mentioned, and a few others. And she was shot, and so was her mother. She had just learned to swim. Mm. The next victim is Alex M. Sullivan, 27. Um, he was actually celebrating his 27th birthday that day. And it was also his first wedding anniversary, too. Oh. He loved movies and was an avid comic book geek. And he had actually taken jobs at movie theaters in the past just to see movies. Oh. Yeah. The next victim is Alexander C. Tevez, 24. Alexander was from Phoenix, and he had earned his master's degree in counseling psychology from University of Denver. And then he had plans to become a psychiatrist. Our last victim is Rebecca Ann Wingo. She was 32. She was a single mother of two daughters, ages nine and five, at the time of the shooting. And then after high school, she joined the Air Force and spoke fluent Mandarin. And she was actually taking classes at a community college. And he, she had also just started a job a few months ago at Shavir Medical. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Um, in Denver. And it was an intake specialist job. Yeah, this one was a little bit longer. See, but the, I had to say everything. So the thing is, is, I've heard of this case, but you know, when you hear of stuff like this, you don't mm -hmm. go into every victim mm -hmm. like we just did, like you just did. And it's just really hard to hear that. Mm -hmm. Well, even those survival uh, stories, I mean, they're going to be traumatized for life. Seriously, you'd never know your kid is going to do that. And my sympathy goes to all the victims and especially you know his family too because mm -hmm. they like obviously feel guilty that they oh they're victims him. too of it you know they lost their son um who they thought that he was right you know they lost their image of him and who they believed they raised him to be which right. is really and upsetting I'm sure they have so much blame on themselves oh i'm sure there's guilt i mean i just i do feel for the the murderer's family as well because they had no idea right so i guess that is the end of this episode so let's get on to our dog and cat fact while Austin looks his up, I will um, say mine. So um, an American Animal Hospital Association poll found that 33% of dog owners admit to talking to their dogs on the phone and leaving them messages while they are away. I've actually done that before. Um, I have made my mom FaceTime me with Leonard, so I completely yep. agree. <laughs> See, I thought that was kind of cool. So. so my cat fact is, did you know... Apparently, kittens in the same litter can have more than one father. It's very interesting. But yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, fun facts for the day. I don't know why I said, <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I've had a little bit too much wine. It's been a day, you guys. It's but okay. I love you all. And. Oh, and if you'd like to follow us on Facebook at. A side of homicide. Or on Instagram at. Side of homicide. Or email us at. Side of homicide at hotmail.com. We love you. Yes, we do. So, bye. bye.